So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump to Acts chapter 15, verse 30, to six, chapter 16, 5. Uh, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the book of Acts. This is a four-year plan, uh, three, four weeks, perhaps like three months of the year, last uh, two years, and the next year we're spending some time in the book of Acts. And the main, main reason for spending our time in the book of Acts so much is for us to really, really understand, revisit what does it mean for us to be Jesus' community. That was the whole idea. Last week, last two weeks, we're in Acts 15. And just to give you a little bit of catch-up, if, you if you're not here, Acts 15 is this important chapter where there is a, there's this important meeting in the city of Jerusalem among the leaders of the early church because there was a major issue that had come to the forefront of this growing church. The question of whether Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, should undergo circumcision like their Jewish brothers and sisters or ad- and, and adhere to Mosaic law. So the leaders gathered in Jerusalem to really discuss this important matter because they need to figure this out. Church was growing. People were coming to Christ at the time. And so the leaders that have gathered in Jerusalem, they pray, they delegate, they discuss, and through different uh, means, the Spirit of God speaks to them. And they come to conclusion that the new Gentile believers, they do not need to be circumcised like their Jewish brothers. And they don't need to follow the Mosaic law like the Jewish brothers and sisters. So they send a letter with the leaders letting these young new churches know that all they need to do is make sure they severe ties from their ways of old, old ways of worship, the form of idolatry. That's what we talked about last week. The idea of do not mix Christianity with your old religion or formal ways of life. Make sure you cut ties. And they send this letter to encourage the church. And church receives the letter outside of Jerusalem. They're encouraged, excited. And this is where we pick up the story. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And we'll go all the way to chapter 16, verse 5. Let me read for us. It's also on the screen if you, uh, you want to follow. And after some days, Paul, and, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Remember John Mark? Cousin, left him last time. Barnabas says, hey, why don't we let him go with us again? But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had drawn, withdrawn from them in Pamphylia had not gone with them to the work. Paul's like, no, man, this guy, he deserted us. I don't think this is a good idea. And there arose a sharp disagreement, Paul and Barnabas, BFF, Paul, disagreement, so that they separate Separated from each other, Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Silas was one of the men that was sent from Jerusalem Council. And apparently Paul was very impressed by Silas's ability to teach and relate to people. So Paul recruits Silas, and then they continued to head towards, according to revisiting the churches they had visited from the original trip. Verse 16, ver, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Diverse background. He was well spoken by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. 
Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance that decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So just to catch you up, Paul and Barnabas decides, right, after settling the matter, now they're back in Antioch, they decide, hey, let's revisit the churches that we have planted. Let's revisit the churches that we have, the leaders that we have decided to make sure they're doing well. So in the middle of preparing for this trip, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark, his cousin, back onto the team. Uh, You know, John Mark, if you can remember, I mean, John Mark did a lot of wonderful things, including the, he's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark with Peter and things like that. But at the time, John Mark, earlier in the story, had deserted the team. We don't know why. We don't know exactly the reason. But he had, he was part of the initial team, initial trip, and he has deserted the team earlier. So Paul says, no, no, Barnabas, we're not going to take your cousin. I don't think this is a good idea. This is a tough, tough ministry He's not going to be able to stand. So Paul and Barnabas have this sharp disagreement. And Luke actually doesn't leave this out. He writes it. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we did uh, about two weeks ago. But there's a profound, profoundly, something profoundly honest about challenges of the relationships. Even godly leaders like Paul and Barnabas, right? These two men that really champion each other along the way they run into a disagreement, not a small one, a major disagreement. Yet despite these disagreements and challenges that they had and perhaps some of us had in the church, our passage reminds us that God continues to move his mission forward. Right? There's, there is this sovereignty of God that continues to move his mission forward in the book of Acts. Then Mark, they go back towards their home in Cyprus and Paul and Silas, they continue. Right? They're their birth of two teams, now going out, training, preaching, and teaching. Um, and, and again, Luke tells us Barnabas and John Mark sailed towards home to do ministry, and Paul, and si- Paul chose Silas to continue on with the original plan to revisit these churches. Again, God works despite of personalities and relationships. That's uh, We're broken people, right? Even in, in our community, we're broken people trying to figure out life as we celebrate six years, we've had disagreements. We've had people disagree. Yet God continues to move his church along. And that's one thing we can glean from our passage. But I really want to focus on chapter 16, verse 1 to 5, actually, for our time. So let's continue on. So Paul arrives back in town of Derby and Lystra. Right here, we're introduced to a young man named Timothy. Remember Timothy? There's a, there's a book named Timothy. Timothy 1, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And Timothy, we we get a little bit of background of Timothy, he grew up under a devout uh, mother who was Jewish and a father who was a Greek. And the grammar structure that Luke uses to describe Timothy's father hints that Timothy's father may not be around or maybe he was never around. Uh, Most likely, many scholars believe most likely, Timothy was raised by a single mother, right? Despised. Despite the challenges of raising him, right, to alone as a single mom, we are told that Timothy had excellent reputation. People really liked Timothy. He was a man of 
outstanding character. So Paul sees a young man who is talented with diverse backgrounds, says, I want you, man. I want you to join our team. Let's go together. So Paul invites him, and his unique Jewish-Greek background would have been amazing in ministry because it would have given him access not only to the Jews but also to the Greeks. So all good. Everything sounds wonderful, right? After the dispute, Paul finds his mentee who he can raise up. But then in verse 3, Paul, it's sort of shocking, Paul takes Timothy and have him be circumcised. Interesting. Right? Because this is important. Throughout Acts chapter 15, the whole conversation was new, new believers, new Gentile believers, they, didn't need, they, they did not need to be circumcised. Because it's faith in Christ alone that brings one from death unto life. That was the whole argument. And it was Paul who, who fought against these, these claims and ideas. And he was, it was Paul who said, only Christ alone. But now, strangely, Paul tells Timothy, hey, let's get you circumcised. So let me, three things about this action, Paul's action. One, why was this important? Two, what lesson does this have for us here and now? Three, how the gospel reinforces the very teaching of the most convinced, this teaching in the most convincing way. So first, why was this such a, such a big deal? One, we spent most of the last two weeks highlighting the debate and decision about why circumcision was no longer required, saved by Christ alone. In fact, it was Paul, again, who defended that the gospel was all that which was required for people to be saved. Yet here, again, Paul takes Timothy and have him be circumcised. Big deal. It's like drama, right? What's this all about? Well, Luke tells us in verse 3, Paul did this because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew Timothy's father was a Greek. That's what the text says. So we know from Luke's commentary of Paul's decision, it's not theological. Right? This circumcision of Timothy has nothing to do with his salvation, or his spiritual well-being, but it's really cultural. Timothy's salvation or Timothy's being circumcised is really about Paul being culturally aware of what they're going to face if they bring, bring Timothy along, who is half Jew and half Greek, and if he's not circumcised, all the challenges and things that they may face. Cultural awareness, intelligence. And, and, and for us, circumcision, I mean, it, it's like, what's circumcision all about? Well, for Jews, circumcision was probably the most important marker. It was a big deal for the Jews to be circumcised. It was a way of marking their distinct identity and commitment to Yahweh. And it was an integral part of what it means to be received socially, to be accepted in order to participate in any temple worship or activity. As a Jew, you needed to be circumcised. If you wanted to be culturally received, circumcision was not an option. John Stott, a, a biblical scholar, he comments on this text, comments on Paul's actions saying there's a profound consistency. John Stott says, Paul is not being inconsistent. There is actually profound consistency in Paul's thoughts and actions in our text. 
Once the principle was established that circumcision was not essential for salvation, Paul was willing to make tactical concessions. Here he is navigating the complexity of diverse communities of the gospel. Circumcision, though not essential for salvation, was a significant cultural barrier. If Paul took Timothy around and people found out this half-Jewish man was not circumcised, there have been many, many troubles in their journey. So now, how do we apply this sort of, which seems really far away from our context, right? Because we're Gentile believers many years later. Uh, whether we're circumcised or not, it's a personal matter. How do we apply this, um, Paul's action, into our lives here and now? The lesson uh, for us is not all of us to be circumcised or not. It's actually for us is to be culturally aware. This idea of being culturally aware of um, people that we engage. But, but more than that, not just being culturally aware of living out our Christian faith, but more than that, it's a really a call to live sacrificially. Everyone say sacrificially. Three people. Sacrificially. Live in a way that Jesus um, becomes real and tangible to people that have no access to Jesus. The lesson for us today Yes, it's to be culturally aware of how we live out our Christian faith, but yet, more importantly, a call to live sacrificially, live in a way, again, Jesus becomes more tangible. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, I think Paul unpacks his action in the letter to Corinthian church by saying, verse 19, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul's talking about salvation, reaching people for Christ. And he says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. By all means, I may save some. See, in 1 Corinthians 9, part of this conversation, Paul wants to emphasize the importance of removing any potential stumbling blocks and cultural barriers that might hinder people from seeing Jesus through our lives. The overarching idea here is to be all things to all people, not for the sake of being culturally aware or even trendy, but that we live our lives vigilantly so that through our life, people will not be hindered to see Christ. We talked about this last couple weeks. The challenge for the church here is not simply to be culturally relevant, because that's what we like to be, culturally relevant as a church. That's important. But the the challenge that Paul gives, that's level one. I think the deeper level, the challenge really is to be distinguishable. I talked about this last two weeks. To To be really not just culturally aware or understand the culture, to be walk whatever language, right? But to really live in a way that we are set apart. To be distinguishable. Because when you think about churches today, our struggle 
isn't that we are irrelevant. Maybe some churches are irrelevant. Maybe churches in Korea, there is conversation for that. But I think for the most part in our sort of culture, I don't think it's that we are irrelevant. Oh, that's the problem. But then there is a superficial contextualization that lacks depth. I think our trouble is that we, our, our contextualization is superficial and it lacks the depth and the reality of being distinguishable. And I talked about last week that if you told your coworkers that you go to church or you're a Christian, how many people would be surprised? Many people would be surprised. Many people might be shocked that you're a Christian. Um, many people are, might be shocked that I'm a pastor, right? I, you know, um, People are often shocked that I'm a pastor. I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, but again, the call that I think Paul wants to give through his letter to the Corinthian church and this action of circumcising Timothy, the call is to go beyond surface-level engagement. It's, it's striving to become all things to all people, not for the sake of being trendy, being relevant, but with the profound intention of saving as many as we can through genuine connection and understanding. Right? We all love people that are authentic. The idea of authenticity is praised in all cultures, among all workplaces. Authenticity is profoundly powerful because most people can discern when someone is insincere. Have you ever had a friend call you who hadn't called you for months? They call you, they're like, hey, Sangmin, I want to have lunch with you. And you're having lunch, they're like, hey, how are you doing? And then eventually they want to sell you something. They want to sell you like some pyramid scheme, like some toothpaste. So they can, I mean, I've had that happen. I'm like, oh my goodness. that's, You know, but I could tell right away. Like I was like really excited to see this person. I was like, oh, okay, wait, hold up. This is like, this is not cool, right? I, wasn't, I, I came to have lunch with you, but you came to sell me something, right? Some of us had that experience. Um, it's our non-Christian friends, Right? When our non-Christian friends perceive us as lacking conviction, it doesn't matter how socially aware or trendy we may be. When they sense that we don't have conviction, that we believe in Jesus and we go to church, but we don't have conviction, we're not going to have trust or credibility. The goal of becoming all things to all people that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9 is, is that it's not for the sake of comfort, is the sake of being relevant or being trendy, but it's a greater purpose of people living our lives so that people will be able to say, what's different about that person? What's different about so-and-so? Why do they live that way? Why do they make decisions that way? It would be easier if they just cut corners. It's only when you and I intentionally, because I think that's the key, choose to live lives that are distinguishable that we have any chance for gospel witness, especially now. In our climate, right, the idea of evangelism, I mean, that, we're busy. We, we are confined by the, the, the rules. If we're in a company, rules, not, not to talk about politics or religion, right? Christians don't even know each other in workplaces, right? It's, it's very common. The idea of evangelism is, is very far from many, many of us. Yeah, but if we're going to have any shot at reaching those that do not know Jesus, we really got to be intentional about the way we live first. Like, like coworkers say, if, if they found that you're a Christian, would they be 
positive about idea of going to church, or would they be like, just like, I never want to go to church? How many of us had really terrible Christian bosses? I, I, I talked to our coworkers, our people. Many of us had terrible, devout Christian bosses that their conviction uh, about the Bible and theology never really reached to the way they treat other people and they handle their business. It's everything, the way you think about your work, the way you carry on your business, the way you show concern and care, the way you handle conflicts, all of it, it will either draw people further away from Christ or draw draw them closer to Him. Because if you think about it, if you really think about your workplace or your school, if you're a teacher, or wherever you go that that are largely people are non-Christian, People are looking for meaning and purpose and understanding, right? There's so much uncertainty, brokenness in the world. People are anxious. People are just looking to find answers. And we have an amazing opportunity. We have amazing opportunity if we are willing to be intentional and if we're willing to open ourselves to those possibilities. But really, why should we live that way? Because the Bible, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul encourages us, yes. It's a good way to live as Christians, yes. But what's the ultimate motivation of us challenging ourselves to to make ourselves contextual to the people that we are around so that they can see Jesus in the most clear way? And this is my final point. What's What's the ultimate motivation of living that way? It's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 18. And the author of Hebrew describes Jesus in this way. He says, since therefore the children are in flesh and blood. Jesus himself likewise partook the same things. Jesus became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Jumping to verse 17, he says, therefore Jesus had to be made like his brother in every Respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What the author of Hebrew is saying is this is the most amazing thing about Jesus. This is the most amazing thing about what is that? It's the profound nature of of incarnation, where Jesus, the Son of God, willingly entered our world as human beings, flesh and blood, made just like us. The ultimate model of becoming all things to all people so that He may save all. In fact, the same author, Hebrews, in chapter 1, 2, he says, but in the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So he's saying, as long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through prophets, right? These prophets spoke in, in, in place of God. But he says, in last days, post-Christ, he has spoken to us by his son. The language that God speaks is Jesus, whom he appointed as heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and exact imprint of his nature. 
what the author is saying is that through Jesus, we gain the, the most clear understanding of who God the Father is. His character, his love, his desire for relationship with you and I. And the crux of the gospel that we talk about every week lies in the reality that God not only came down to meet us where we are, but he also willingly took on our sin and death in a way that we can understand and we can see. If God did not come in a form of human, we would not be able to see or hear and taste his goodness. And that's why the same author says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul himself, he says, we are new creation. We are not new creation because we obey the law or we are circumcised or we are good people. We are new creation because of what Christ has done. Christ coming down as one of us and laying down his life for us. And as new creation in Christ, all of us, friends, we are new creation in Christ. Amen? And sometimes we don't feel like that, right? Sometimes we don't feel like new creation. But scripture says, if we are in Christ, we are new creation. The old is gone. New has come. And being part of the new creation is that we have been empowered. Each of us have been empowered to live in a way that allows our friends, our coworkers, our students, our fellow, whoever we encounter to see Christ Amen? And I, I believe that's the wonderful challenge. Because Christ came as one of us so that we can touch and feel him. And that was the most important aspect of the gospel. That we would do the same as we try to remain faithful wherever God sends us, wherever we are. Let's pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for Paul and Timothy their willingness uh, to make all the sacrifices that are needed in order to be able to bring others uh, to Christ. And Lord, I just pray as your body, would you teach us how to do that in our own way, in our own place? Would you help us to become more humble, more reliant on you, trusting that you have an amazing uh, opportunity for us wherever you send us? We thank you. We love you. In his name we pray.